He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on you. The Leader's Cut. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Leader's Cut. And if this is your first time joining us on The Leader's Cut, welcome to the conversation. We're all about pulling up a seat at the table, not just between the two of us, but the three of us, you, me, and the God of the universe. Otherwise, what are we even doing? If he doesn't pull up a seat at the table, why are we even sitting here, <laughs> right? So let's pray. We're going to jump right into the cuts. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, uh, but may require a little bit of, of digging in the soil of your heart uh, and the Holy Spirit cutting a little bit on our flesh. So let's pray and we'll jump right into it. Spirit of the living God, thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't say it enough, and, and those words don't even seem to even come close to doing how we feel justice. God, you are seated on the throne, and no one is ever moving you off it. You are the one with all power. No one else is. You alone are God. There is no other. And you, as the God of the universe, extend to us the opportunity of a trillion lifetimes, not just to be your child, but to be your best friend. God, as we navigate this conversation about going through hard stuff and how to handle it, how not just to endure it, but how to thrive in it. Holy Spirit, I pray for an anointing I've never been allowed to access. I pray you'd put this message in thousands of bottles and send them for years and years to come all over the earth to whomever you want to receive this message from you. Holy Spirit, there's no reason for me to even talk. I'm doing it on my own. I need you. Help my mind be sharp. Help my heart be soft. Help my words be yours. Spirit of the living God, wherever you want to cut on us, cut on our flesh so that more room for you, for your spirit, O oh God, is made in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sorry. I just, I, I don't ever want to get over the fact that the God of the universe wants to be my best friend and wants me to be his. <laughs> it's not some show, I promise you. I, I just never want to get over that, that reality. That's, that's not even what we're talking about. But the second it comes out of my mouth, it's like I'm completely distracted by what we are talking about because the God who sits above the circle of the earth is my best friend. <laughs> so I might, I might need a couple minutes to kind of catch, catch up to this conversation because I just want to stop this whole uh, episode 
and just go be alone with my best friend. So just cut me some slack this first couple minutes because my mind in that prayer went in a completely different direction. All right. Okay. You saw that this conversation is about when things in life get hard. Now I've talked to you about uh, doing hard things that in the family of God, we do hard things, but this is not about that. Even though the verbiage is similar, this is about going through difficult seasons. And really what I'm talking about is spiritual attack or even assault, right? When things are just consistently difficult spiritually and therefore in other areas of life as well, uh, how do we navigate that? Because I just came out of a, a, about a three plus year run that I didn't even realize was one of the most intense spiritual seasons I've ever navigated thus far. And I didn't realize it until there was breakthrough this week. And now I'm looking back on the last couple of years going, wow, what, what did I learn? I mean, that was a lot harder. The, this wrestling match against powers and principalities was a lot harder than I realized it was as I was in the middle of it. And so as I started to kind of write down my thoughts this week, it turned into this episode. And here's what I want to do. I want to give you what I'm going to call six looks. What must we do? What should we do? What can we do? But what must we do if we're going to navigate really difficult seasons where the enemy really tries to attack? What must we do if we're going to navigate that season well? Let me give you six looks. Here's the first one. Look up. Look up where? Look up where your help comes from. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. And I'm going old school KJV because that's my first memory of this verse. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help. Love me some OGKJV every once in a while. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Okay, we're going to linger in this passage for a little bit because when things get hard, and I don't know what's going on with you, what season of, of life you find yourself in, but I know if you're going to stick through this episode, there's a chance you're in a very difficult season of life. And I have a question for you if you're in a difficult season. When things get hard, do you get heavy? Just feel that weightiness, that strong, almost at times oppressive spirit of heaviness. Do you, do you get heavy like that when things get hard? Let me say this. Heaviness doesn't happen when we look to the heavens. Heaviness happens when we look too much at the hills. This, this psalm is quite possibly uh, and most probably a song of ascent, a hymn of ascent that people sang as they journeyed to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. No matter what, what uh, direction you were coming from, if you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up into the hills. And, and so that in those days posed different scenarios. And so I want to kind of paint the picture of how genius this passage is about where our help comes from. When someone was journeying to Jerusalem, uh, especially around the feast, everybody knew that many would be coming from outside of the city into the city to celebrate that feast. And 
So there's good in that, but there's also, there can be evil in that. And here's what I mean. Uh, Thieves, and scripture addresses this every once in a while. Thieves would hide in the hills. And if you know anything about battle, whoever has the high ground usually has the upper hand. So I wonder if the psalmist isn't saying, painting this picture of this journey towards Jerusalem and, and everyone was a little bit leery and weary because you, you don't know. They all heard stories about thieves busting out of the hills and coming down to rob people. And, and I'm sure at times this journey to Jerusalem involved fear and trepidation for some. It was a difficult journey to make. And I love that this particular passage in Psalms says, does my help come from the hills? Like I, I look up to where my help comes from. Does my help come from the hills? Just, just imagine being a journeyman, a journeywoman on the way to Jerusalem, afraid of being robbed. Where would your eyes be? Up into the hills. This is where some of us leave our eyes as we go through difficult seasons. We're always looking for the other shoe to drop. We're looking for the negative. We're looking for the worst. Does my help come from the hills? No. Even if my attack comes from the hills, where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from the hills. Here's Preston's paraphrase. My help comes from the God who created those hills. Okay. Anytime I'm going through a difficult season, I have learned. Preston, get your eyes off the trash and get your eyes on the one who can do anything in any situation at any time, however he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. Preston, don't look at the hills. Don't look at, don't look at the tough stuff. Lift up your head. This is why you hear me consistently talk about Isaiah 40, the God who sits above the circle of the earth. Every time I say that in my heart or with my lips, I go like this. What am I doing? I'm lifting my head and looking towards the one from where my, my help comes from. It's him. But this is what I've done in the past. Let's help things go awry. Uh, I spend a little bit too much time like this. What's going on? What could happen right there? What could, what could happen? What could happen? Oh, the robbers. Listen, I don't want to live like that. And so this might seem small to some of you, but I promise you when you're in the middle of a really, really hard season, you know, if you've navigated one, you know how easy it is to stare at what scares you, to stare at the challenges, to stare at the impossibilities. If we're going to have this conversation together, we have to come into agreement and say, the harder things get, the more essential it is for us to lift our gaze and keep our eyes on the one holding the universe up by the power of a word. One of the other things I like about this passage, does my help come from the hills? That one question, it reminds me of Jeremiah 3.23, which says, our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. Yeah, I don't have enough time to really break this whole thing down. But remember where Solomon built a temple to worship the foreign gods 
of his foreign wives. It was up on the hills, right outside the city of Jerusalem, right? Okay, so I just wonder if, if this isn't connected in this way, where it's not just saying, does, does my help come from the hills where the robbers might come? I wonder if it's not a slam against the enemy to go, you know, those foreign gods being worshipped in the hills because they're trying to occupy some high place. Press and ask yourself, does your help come from idols? Does your help come from money? Does your help come from stuff? Does your help come from people? No, no, no. Your help comes from me and me alone. And everybody be worshiping trash up on the hills. And the psalmist says, that's not where your help comes from. Here's a way we could say it in our present day. Whatever you might try and numb yourself with when things get most difficult, God's trying to make sure you understand that's not where your help comes from. Numb doesn't feel good. Numb doesn't feel. That's the point of numbing. And I believe God would say, Preston, your flesh is going to want to numb with that stuff, with that trash. That's not going to help. And in fact, it's going to hurt you because when you numb yourself with stuff that can't help you, you are taking a step back from me and putting the pause button on my helping you. So first, we got to remember when things are the hardest, we must look to the holiest, capital H. Every time I look down, you know what happens to me? It brings me down. When I dwell on the situation and the scenario and the challenges, it brings me down. But every time I look up, he doesn't just lift my head up. He lifts me up. So the first look we've got to use is we got to look up. The harder things get, man, I've been getting some really weighty DMs from some of you uh, on social media recently. You people are savages. Uh, people who, who have lost spouses uh, the day after Thanksgiving, and I'm, I'm filming this 2023, uh, the week after Thanksgiving. Somebody lost a spouse the day after Thanksgiving. Somebody has a spouse who's been in a coma for several weeks. I mean, just some really difficult stuff. And it's actually encouraged my faith because they're telling me, but my eyes are on him, not on what's going on around me. I mean, it encouraged me and it encourages me. Anytime someone looks up instead of looking down. Here's the second look that I think is extremely helpful as we navigate hard things, hard and difficult seasons. Look out. Look out. Look out for what? For the lookalike. Okay, now I didn't want to mention this as, as number one, all right? So I intentionally made this number two because I won't give the enemy first place. God alone is in first. He is above all, beneath none, beside none, okay? But when we go through difficult seasons, we need to be aware of the enemy's movements. Not obsessed, aware, okay? 
Look out for the lookalike is how I'm saying it. Here's why. When things are hardest for you, things are easiest for Satan. (laughs) I'm going to let you sit on that one for a second. Because that right there rang my bell this week. When things are hardest for me, things are easiest for Satan. Another way to say it, it's easiest for Satan to pick me off when I'm ticked off because everything is a lot more difficult than I anticipated. Let me give you a couple of passages about this uh, lookalike, this pretender, as I'm going to show you, uh, God's enemy named Satan. Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. This is a conversation between God and Satan. God says, where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord. I've been patrolling the whole earth, watching everything that's going on. Remember that uh, reel we had a couple weeks ago about Satan and his minions being the best note takers on the earth. That teaching actually comes from this verse right here. Satan says, oh, I've been patrolling the whole earth. Doing what? Watching every single thing that's going on. Okay, so here's the picture. Satan is patrolling. He's wandering the earth, and one of the things he's doing is watching everything that's going on. Okay, but I want to connect another verse in 1 Peter chapter 5 in the New Testament that helps us get an even clearer picture of what Satan's wandering looks like. 1 Peter 5 Verse 8 says, stay alert. This is good for us, especially in hard times. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Okay, hit the pause button there because some of us go, Preston, you should never talk about the devil. I actually got a, a, a comment or a DM, I can't remember which one, about this very thing. Timmy and I were talking about the enemy in a reel and uh, someone said, you should never be talking about Satan. The Lord reigns. And I totally get that, but that I don't believe that that's scriptural because God goes on record in 1 Peter 5 and says, hey, stay alert, Preston, watch out. Now, you don't need to be afraid of him, but watch out for your great enemy because he's, watch, prowling around. So remember, Satan said, I patrolled the earth. Now, God paints the picture with clarity what it looks like when Satan patrols the earth. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour interesting picture here and i want you to see this because these words like a i think are the most important words in this sentence many of us give satan too much credit we act as though he has all power (laughs) he's got power that's why God says great enemy or powerful enemy. But Jesus also went on record and said, hey, take heart, I've overcome the whole world. Even though Satan has dominion, has power, Jesus says, I've overcome it all, so don't worry. This picture I love that goes, the God goes on record painting, in my opinion, is divinely, arrogantly sarcastic. God's saying of Satan, listen, Preston, Of course, this is my paraphrase using these passages. 
Preston Satan's patrolling the earth. Yes. And here's how he's doing it. He likes to wander around pretending to be this roaring lion when Preston, there's only one lion in this field. Me. <laughs> but Satan, because he wants to have all power like me, Preston, patrols the earth like a you know another way to say it? He's trying to mimic the one who has all power. Of course, it's Satan's version. It's nothing like God. Like a. Preston, Satan isn't a roaring lion. Now he wants to devour. There's only one lion in this field. He's not a roaring lion. He just pretends to be one. Okay, this helps me. Because when I was younger, I used to think Satan had all the power. I had no power. Satan had all the power. Mm -mm. We overcome our enemy, the devil. How? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But you know what is really important? We overcome. We overcome our enemy. I, when I was younger and didn't understand scripture quite yet, I just thought Satan had the power and I was hoping to get to have some every once in a while so that I wouldn't lose all the time. Satan's a pretender. There has never been a better pretender than God's enemy. Ha, Satan, the Satan. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says as much. It's in the middle of a conversation Paul's having. He says, he's talking about, People who are disguising themselves as righteous, but they're unrighteous. He says, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Here he goes again, pretending to be the one. He apparently wants to be like the one who has all the power, the one who is the light of life. <laughs> These passages just made me laugh. Even Satan disguises himself. Check this out. Okay, he's a pretender. What does Satan's pretension or pretending look like? Well, it looks like a lot of loud threats. That's what I felt. I don't know what you've experienced. But I've learned a lot over the years about Satan's threatening ways. A lot of talk. Not nearly as much bite. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm just saying I'm telling you what I learned. A lot of bark. Not nearly as much bite. Why? Because Satan's on a leash. He doesn't have all power. And so he disguises himself as the one who does to try and get our attention. Let me try and paint this picture, okay? The President of the United States has what's called the nuclear option. And if things got really bad, um, if a war started, if, if nuclear weapons were aimed at this country, uh, the president of the United States has the nuclear option and it involves what they call, uh, there's a nuclear code. Uh, and just picture the president of the United States being able to hit the red button and what that causes would be a nuclear response to our enemy in the form of nuclear bomb. Okay. I know it's heavy stuff, but I want you to see this picture. Okay, this is really important. Okay, if the president alone has the power to push that red button, I want you to imagine 
what it would be like when the president goes to push that button. I have some questions. Do you think the president of the United States, before he goes to push the red button, is yelling and screaming at his enemy? Do you think the president of the United States, who has alone in that situation, who alone has the power to push that red button, do you think the president of the United States is going, yelling, taunting his enemies? They better know what's coming. I'm about to take you. Do you think he's doing all that trash? No. Why? Because he knows that he has the power. And when you have the power, all you have to do is push the button. You don't even have to talk. Real power doesn't even need volume. Real power can whisper. Fake power needs to scream. Have you ever noticed how loud the enemy gets when we go into really difficult seasons? Man, I'm telling you, there have been some times over the last three years where it, it was a full-on taunting scream what I felt I was hearing from the enemy. It wasn't no whisper. It was a shout. I've had to learn. Real power never has to shout. Only fake power screams. So if the voice you're hearing is bringing in a measure of negativity and condemnation and fear, and it's like a shout, you got to remember that's not how God talks. God doesn't even have to whisper to exert his power. Remember, remember, go read the end of the book. How does the Antichrist go out, go down, the breath of his mouth? Ha! Ha! <laughs> you know you have all power when you take your enemy out with a breath. <laughs> I love our God and I love that he alone is the one with all power, okay? But you got to remember that the enemy loves to beat down those who have their head down. So connecting point two to point number one, this is why we've got to look up, but we've also got to remember to look out. Stay alert, Preston. Be aware. Doesn't mean I have to wake up every morning in fear. What's the enemy going to do today? No, 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 bro. No, no. Start your day looking at, up to God. Not looking down at the enemy. But scripture also says, Preston, throughout your day, stay alert. All you got to do, stay alert. Look up. Look out. Here's the third look. Look at. Look at. And this is one I've been learning real time. Look at what? Look at things another way. One of the things I've learned over the years is when we are in a fight spiritually, the heat almost always gets turned up relationally. Going back to my early years when I, I was not healthy at all and extremely immature, I learned this lesson. When we are unhealthy and immature and we're under attack spiritually, we tend to go on the attack relationally. I hate talking about these old stories of mine, but I also love it because this is just how we get stronger, all right? And we don't hide these things. We, we expose them. Uh, I had a habit 
the first couple years in vocational ministry. Now, remember my path, uh, Pastor Robert Morris, uh, one of my heroes, hired me at 21. And uh, I didn't know what I was getting into when I went on staff at Gateway. And Gateway ended up, from my vantage point, being an absolute move of God. I, I saw from the front row. I mean, yes, there were brilliant and amazing people working there. But what I saw transpire there couldn't be done by a human. Only God can do what happened there. But I didn't understand when I signed up for that job that I was signing up to participate in a move of God. And of course, I want to be careful with that terminology. Please, I'm not doing this. I'm actually honoring the Lord. I'm not just honoring Gateway. I'm honoring the Lord, okay? But I didn't know what I was signing up for. And because I didn't know what I was signing up for, I was completely blinded by the spiritual warfare that I had to um, endure and we had to endure. And so it, Holly will tell you, my wife, she'll tell you that those first couple of years were, were rough. They were rocky. And one of the biggest reasons they were rocky wasn't because I was unhealthy and immature. Of course, that contributed, that made it worse. But the real reason it was so difficult is all the spiritual warfare. Holly and I had never experienced anything like it. And I had never experienced anything like it. And because I had put myself on the front lines with Pastor Robert, I was getting it in a, in a measure that Holly wasn't yet getting it. And it, it's embarrassing to say, um, but she and I talk about this. I because I didn't understand how to handle spiritual attacks, when I was under attack, I attacked her. I just came at her. I would get angry with her. Um, I would say something mean to her. Um, I, and I, I honestly, I didn't even understand what I was feeling or what I was even enduring, let alone what I was doing. But now looking back, I realize what the young me was doing. I, I was crying out for help. I was saying to her in a horrid way, I'm under attack. And I just I need you to feel what I'm feeling so that you'll do something about what's happening to me. Okay, I had totally admit, absolutely unhealthy and immature. I'm not saying it's right. But the young me, I had no idea what else to do. And so I just attacked. And I would attack my boss. I was on the attack. Why? Because I was under attack. I'm pretty sure there are a few of you who you've been on the attack for a while. But you didn't even know why until just now. And I believe the Spirit of God is, is causing the scales to fall off your eyes. The reason you've been on the attack isn't because the people that love you the most are against you. The reason you're on the attack is because you're under attack more than you fully understood. Becoming aware of it is more than half the battle. Here's what I've learned about relational fights, okay? And, and this is important because remember, the principle is when things get difficult spiritually, things ratchet up relationally. The enemy loves to try and work through our relationships and bring division. Why? if one put a thousand a flight and two put ten thousand a flight who is the enemy more afraid of the two together not the one 
This is why when things get more difficult, Satan always looks to divide us relationally. So I want to teach you something that I've learned, okay, about fights, relational fights. Fights typically start because we're looking at something the wrong way. I think we just think fights typically start because somebody did wrong. Eh, sometimes, but I'll tell you far more fights typically start because we're looking at something the wrong way. There's this moment in John chapter nine that I love where, uh, you know, anytime Jesus did anything, my personal opinion, he was never just doing one thing. He was always doing multiple things in that one thing. In John nine, there's this moment where a couple of people, um, his disciples, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they see someone and, and they say, they look at this person a certain way and this person's situation and they say, Rabbi, is this true? Is this why? And Jesus corrects them. Let me read it to you, right? John chapter nine, starting in verse one. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Watch this next question. Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Okay, before I read you verse three, think about what they're saying. They're looking at this blind man going, here's our assessment. This guy's blind for punishment. This guy is blind because either he did something wrong and is being punished for it, or his parents did something wrong and God is punishing them through their son. Okay, they're saying, Jesus, this is how we see this situation. Jesus flips this thing on its head and gives them a completely different way to see things. Listen to verse three. Jesus responds. He says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. <laughs> What? They thought they had the answer. How many times do we think we're looking at something the right way? And if we would just involve God and go, God, am I seeing this the right way? Because listen, let me get right up in your business, just like God got up in mine. Somebody in your life that you love did something and you're looking at it a certain way. And you're talking about it like Jesus' disciples were. Oh, there's punishment coming. What this person did was wrong. And so they're, they're going to be punished. And I wonder if when we involve God, God doesn't just chuckle and go, Preston, you're making it about them. But let me help you understand. Some's off in you and you're seeing what they're doing the wrong way. Just like Jesus corrected his disciples in John 9. Okay, now why does Jesus have to help us see things differently. Well, scripture is very clear as to why. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, now, so on this side of heaven, in a fallen world, as finite human beings, now we see things imperfectly. Imperfect beings see things imperfectly. Now watch how Paul describes it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. 
something we can't fully make out. But then, one day, when everything is, being, is perfected, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. What was the last time you were looking at the behavior of someone and you reminded yourself what you're seeing is from an incomplete perspective, from an imperfect human, yourself? When was the last time your spouse did something that you deemed to be stupid and you stopped yourself and said, I'm seeing things incompletely and imperfectly because I am imperfect and I am a work in progress being completed, perfected, ongoing sanctification. When was the last time when you were ticked at your spouse because you, you're looking at something they did and you think it's stupid and rather than trying to get a better look at why they might have done it, you already start thinking of punishment for what they did. Here's one of the best questions I've learned to ask in this situation. Is there another way to look at this? I, literally, there's something in my life that I was looking at the same way for like a year to 18 months. And I thought I was looking at the right way. And then this week, the Lord's like, and I love when, when I sense God ask me a question like this because it's like there's definitely divine sarcasm. Preston, you think there's another way to look at this? <laughs> you know, if God asks you that question, especially with that tone, he's letting you know, not only is there another way to look at this, but I'm looking at it incorrectly. Think about this. I think Eve should have asked this question when Satan was deceiving her. Is there another way to look at this? When, when Satan came to deceive Eve and said, did God really say? I wonder what would have happened if Eve would have taken a step back and said, hmm, that's how Satan looks at it. Is there another way to look at it? But how many times in difficult seasons, when we're under a cloud of confusion, do we take whatever the enemy's narrative is and make it our own? We take the bait and whatever he says, because he's the one screaming loudest. Remember, I've told you before why I think God whispers when people say, it's hard for me to hear God. I believe the reason God whispers is you have to draw near to hear the whisper. But the enemy shouts and screams because he's the one with fake power. Satan loves when times are difficult and we're under a cloud of confusion to scream his narrative because his goal is that we would make his story our truth. What would have happened if Eve would have stopped and asked the question when Satan was trying to deceive her? Is there another way to look at this? Let me ask you, what would happen the next time you're flooded emotionally, in a relationally difficult spot. What would happen in the midst of the flood? You said, is there another way to look at this? Are my emotions causing me to see this unclearly? Is my pain causing me to miss something and see this improperly?
listen, I'm just trying to help you. Jesus said this, and I'm saying this more and more as I get older. Jesus promised that there would be hardship in this life. There would be difficult seasons. So some of you might be like, Preston, why do you talk about this kind of stuff? Because Jesus said this is what life would be like this side of heaven. Saddle up. We got to get over it. Move on. I don't want to gripe and complain about it. I want to dominate in the middle of it and through it. And this is one of the ways we dominate. We got to understand that when things are difficult, Satan loves to attack our relationships. And when we're immature and unhealthy and find ourselves in the middle of a spiritual attack, we're probably prone to be a little bit the way I was when I was 22. We go on the attack with the people who are closest to us. Hey, before I move to the next point, is it possible there's somebody in your life that you've been attacking and you convinced yourself everything you're going through right now that's bad is because of them? Can I challenge you? Maybe pick up the phone and shoot them a text. Set up a coffee. And let them know. This whole time I thought you were my problem. But you're not. I've been attacking you. Because I didn't fully understand how under attack I've been. Tell them this. I don't want to fight against you. I desperately need your help to fight with me, alongside me. I don't want to attack you anymore. I'm sorry. How do you think that's going to go? (laughs) That's the very thing the enemy doesn't want. This is why he tries to divide relationships in the middle of hardship. Get you some. We're halfway through. We got three more to go. All right. Here's the fourth look. Look into. This is a bit of a connection to the third look. Look into. Look into what, Preston? Look into the deepest place of your heart. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord says something very, very profound to Samuel. And we take it one way, but I want to bring it in another way. God says, Samuel, don't judge by someone's appearance or height. For I reject people for that stuff. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. Watch this next line. But the Lord looks at the heart. Hmm? The Lord looks at the heart. Okay, so I'm telling you, look into. Because the Lord's looking at. Look into your heart because God is always looking at your heart. But even more so, when things are hard, you got to check your heart. Here's why. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, but especially verse 9, is very clear on why we have to check our heart, especially when things are most difficult. Scripture says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it truly is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts. There it is again. God's looking at the heart. 
But are we? Are we? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked? It's so bad. How, how can anyone truly know how bad it is? This is serious. And we must remember hard things, hard seasons, create a hard heart if you aren't monitoring your heart in the midst of the hard things. You got to be probing around the soil of your heart. I don't know if you know this, but the place where your heart is most deceitful is with yourself, about yourself. We lie to ourselves about ourselves. We're liars. That's what we do. Our flesh lies to our flesh. We lie to ourselves, which is a dangerous thing when the heart is the most deceitful and desperately wicked of all things. The easiest way for the enemy to take you out is through an open door in your heart that you don't even know is there. One of the things I've been um, becoming aware of is this last season. Um, You know, just various things happening in life and um, in relationships and... um, I've said to Holly and my closest friends a couple of times, um, I mean, probably more than a dozen times over the last 12 to 24 months. And I've never used these words before, but I've heard myself say, I just feel intense sadness sometimes. It just, it comes out of nowhere. And Sometimes it feels a little overwhelming. I I just feel intensely sad about some of what's going on. And I've actually had uh, a couple of people during that one or two years say to me, Preston, you got a lot of stuff, a lot of hard stuff that's going on. And it's, it's tough stuff, bad stuff. And, and man, it's, it's, this is, this is dangerous. Like the Preston, you're, you're in a tough spot. And here's what I would say. If I'm not aware, that's dangerous. When I am aware, that's healthy. It's healthy. It's not dangerous to be aware of what's going on in my heart. It's actually dangerous to not know what's going on in my heart. You know what I've learned working with adults as a senior pastor? The average adult can only feel what they feel. But most can't articulate what they feel without being asked first. I am telling you, the healthiest people I know are most aware of what's going on in their heart. That this is a sign of health. Do I know what's going on right here? Do you? One of the easiest ways for the enemy to take me out is through an open door in my heart that I don't even know is there. 
I don't want that to be you. Shoot, I don't want it to be me. How, how much time do you spend every week digging around in the soil of your heart? How much time do you extend to your friends to dig around in the soil of your heart? To ask sometimes hard questions about what's going on and how it's making you feel. Preston, I don't, I don't want to talk about how I feel. Well, that's how you know you're hurting more than you think. <laughs> Been there. Done that. I think one of the best ways I've found not just to protect myself from the assaults of the enemy, but to actually overcome his assaults is by doing everything I can to keep my heart healthy. And I'm telling you, that first step of heart health is awareness. I'm actually not concerned. I mean, Scripture's telling us, Preston, your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Like, it's not good on its merit, Preston. You're not going to find good... I'm not afraid to find what's in my heart because I know if I dig deep enough, I'm going to find some junk. You know what I'm actually afraid of? Not knowing what's going on in my heart. You know, we're raising a, a five-year-old right now who we're fostering and possibly adopting. And, and uh, he's navigating a lot. And we're, he's a very, he's an empath. He, he feels uh, he sees when other people are feeling strong feelings. And so he and I at night, we lay in his bed uh, and we have to have story time, of course. Um, but then some, some nights, a good number of nights, when I feel the doors open to his heart, I ask questions. And one of the wildest things I've seen, one of the craziest responses I've seen from our five-year-old is when I ask a question about something uh, in a day gone by that made him feel something heavy, more often than not, he reaches to be affectionate with me. He, he did it early on. And I told my wife, he, he loves to be given the opportunity to describe how he feels. At first, he fought it. Like when he first came back into our home, because this is the second time we've had him in five years. If you don't know the story, we had him for 10 months, from six months to 16 months, and then we got him again um, at almost three and a half years old. And when he came back, he, we would ask him about feelings, and I don't want to talk about it. He's four. I, I don't want to talk about my feelings. Sounds like a lot of adults. But the safer he felt, and we learned it required safety. He had to feel safe. But the safer he felt, the more he actually enjoyed being able to get out what was inside that was weighing him down. So let me just submit that to you, not just for you, but for your friends. I guarantee you, you have somebody in your life like our five-year-old who today wants to be asked, hey, I know you're carrying a ton. How you doing? How's your heart? They want to be asked that question. 
And you need to provide the safety they need, but also the pursuit they're longing for. This is one of the ways we strengthen our relationships. Look how these, this point and the, the previous point connect. This is one of the ways we strengthen our relationships. Go after them and help them dig around the soil of their heart. Let me remind you of something before we move to the fifth look. Many of the fights you start with a person would probably be stopped before ever even starting if you'd search your heart before you attack theirs. Dig around. Especially in difficult seasons. Don't just guard your heart. Dig around the soil of your heart. All right? Here's the fifth look. Look honestly. Look honestly. Look honestly at what, Preston? Look honestly at your weaknesses. Remember this. When things are hard, our weaknesses are amplified. The easiest way, one of the easiest ways to take me out is through my weaknesses. And when things are difficult and Satan's on the prowl, on the attack, weaknesses, my weaknesses are amplified. He doesn't want to come at my strengths. He wants to try and find my weaknesses so that he has an easier fight. It, it, it's simple. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. But I want to give you a new way to see your weaknesses. Because some of us have a terrible view of our weaknesses, all right? And it's, this, this really isn't my way of seeing our weaknesses. It's actually the Apostle Paul's way, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Remember, in this passage, Paul's saying, he's saying, I asked the Lord to remove this thorn in my side. And here was his re response every time I asked. Each time he said, verse 9 says, God says, my grace is all you need, Paul. Because my power works best in weakness. If that doesn't comfort you, that statement right there is one of the most comforting statements that I know. The power of God works best in my weakness. Now watch Paul's response. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, which apparently seems to point at that before this revelation, he didn't do that. It sounds like he did what many of us do. He was hiding his weaknesses. He says, well, now that I've gotten this revelation that God's power works best in human weakness, my weakness, now I boast about my weaknesses and I'm glad to do so, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Th this is insane revelation right here. I, I always, you know me, I personalize this as though Paul's saying it to me because he is through the Holy Spirit. Preston, if you don't get to a place where you're so comfortable with, with your weaknesses that you can boast about your weaknesses, you're not ever really going to fully experience the power of Christ working through you. So Preston, you need to get to a place where you actually take pleasure in your weaknesses. Here's what you got to know about your weaknesses. Your weaknesses are obvious to everyone, but they need to be obvious to you. One of the weaknesses I'm becoming aware of that I presently have and have had for years, uh, I'm not good at saying goodbye. 
I, I didn't really fully know this about me. When people have transitioned off of the staff that God's asked me to steward, um, Robert raised me to bless them financially, uh, to honor them, that that's uh, one of the sweet and special ways to honor someone and say thank you for all that they've done is to bless them financially. And so because I was raised that way, that's never been a problem for me. But there's more uh, to honor and, and gratitude than just writing a check. And I'm not in any way saying that's uh, what Robert or anybody at Gateway has ever done. Uh, it's just part of the equation. But I, I didn't really know that uh, one of my weaknesses is saying goodbye. And, and this is real time. I'm learning this now. Should have learned it a long time ago, I'm sure. Um, but I, I honestly don't yet know why I'm not the best at saying goodbye. I, I, my first thought is I have kind of a wartime mentality. And I said this to the Lord. I think part of the reason I'm not good at saying goodbye is I I've kind of see this life like battle and and in battle when the bullets are flying and someone says i feel like my time's up and and i'm i'm to go fight elsewhere uh i i kind of hug dap them up and my heart say lord thank you for everything they've uh done here and and for all the victories that you divinely enabled them to win here uh and then i kind of go right back to fighting because that just when the bullets are flying, that's just how I see it. But I'm learning. And when I said that to the Lord, I, I honestly felt the Lord go, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, a little bit. But no, there's something more there, Preston. And whenever, I, whenever he gives me the revelation of what's there, I promise, we'll, we'll probably do an episode on it. But uh, it's so real time, I don't know yet. I don't know why one of my weaknesses is saying goodbye. But I know it's one of my weaknesses. And I think I've actually known for a couple years. But I think I was hiding from my weakness. We hide from our weaknesses because we're afraid of our weaknesses. Why are we afraid of our weaknesses? Because we're afraid our weaknesses make us weak. Let me teach you something. Weak people don't have weaknesses. Humans do. <laughs> Let's normalize it, people. Let's normalize weakness. Man, you know you don't want to be walking around pretending to be strong all the time. You've got weakness. It's part of the reason you walk around pretending to be so strong is you're afraid if you don't pretend to be strong, someone's going to take advantage of your weakness. Weak people don't have weaknesses. Humans do. Here's the definition of a weak person. A weak person is a person who refuses to do anything about their weaknesses. So here's my advice to you today. Don't be a weak person. Do something about your weaknesses. Be honest about your weaknesses. You know what else you need to do? Share your weaknesses with the people you trust the most. Anytime I've shared my weaknesses 
with the ones I trust the most. You know what they do every time? They help strengthen me. They help carry my load. They help deal with my blind spots. Your weaknesses are obvious to everyone. The question is, are you aware of your weaknesses? Because if you're not aware, you can't do anything about it. Don't be weak. Questions that I think we should ask to help us discern our weaknesses. Because some of you are like, I press and I don't know what my weaknesses are. How do I even go about finding out what my weaknesses are? Here's what I'd say. Ask these questions. Questions like this. And you'll probably think of better ones than I did. But here's four I'll submit to you. What do I do that just seems harder for me than for everybody else? Like, for me, let's just, before I give you the next three questions, for me, this weakness of, of struggling with saying goodbye. I have friends in my life who are amazing partiers. And I don't mean like crazy party. I mean like when, when it's time to say goodbye, they throw a party. They celebrate. And it's amazing. And I love it. But that's not, that's not my first thought. I actually think I'm, I experience more sadness with goodbye. And maybe I, I, I don't feel as safe when people say goodbye. I don't know. But I do know that asking the question, what do I do that just seems harder for me than for everybody else, is helping bring clarity for me on what my weaknesses are. Here's another question. What do I do that seems to frustrate everybody else the most? <laughs> I guarantee you. What frustrates my wife most about me is directly connected to a weakness I have I'm doing nothing about. What do you do that just seems to frustrate everybody else more than anything else? Here's another question. What do I do which I simply hate doing? Now, that particular question could point to uh, you're doing something you're not anointed to do, of course. But what are the good things you have to do which you just hate doing? Quite possibly points to a weakness. Here's the last question I'm, I'm submitting to you just to think about asking, and then you come up with your own list. What do I do that the enemy tries to use for his purposes? What is it that you do that the enemy most often loves to try and spin to hurt others with. Really good question that I believe will help point to some of your potential weaknesses. Listen to me. I really want to normalize this conversation because the more comfortable you become with your weaknesses, the more you can be trusted by God with his strength. That's what Paul's saying. Preston, if you're not comfortable with your weaknesses, you'll never get to experience the power of Christ working in you and through you. The other side of that coin is the more comfortable you become with your weaknesses, the more you can be trusted by God with his very strength. If you're uncomfortable with your weaknesses, you'll hide from them. And if you hide from your weaknesses, you'll rarely get to experience God's strength in the midst of them. So, take a look. 
Where are you weak? Here's the sixth look, and we'll wrap up. All right. If you made it this long, love you so much. Love everybody who who even the ones that didn't make it this long. But I love I love those of you who just you go on the walk. I don't know if you're walking. I don't know if you're working out. I don't know if you're driving a long drive to family for the holidays. I don't know what you're doing. But I can't tell you how much it means that you make it to the end of a conversation because you just never know how the conversation is going to end when God's seated at the table. Here's the sixth look. Look forward. Look forward to what, Press? Look forward to what God will do. There's a word in scripture for this. Hope. Yes, I know. Hope deferred can make the heart sick. I get it. And some of us use that verse to actually not hope at all. Terrible reason to give up your hope. Here's the biblical definition for the word hope. Hope is an expectation or belief and the fulfillment of something desired. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And this is a perfect passage for going through a season of hard things, difficult season. Be patient in the hard seasons and be constant in prayer. Fantastic advice. Preston, when you're in really hard seasons, be constant in prayer. Don't we talk about that a lot? It's hard to walk in power when you're inconsistent in prayer. Press, be conf- constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation in difficult seasons. Rejoice in hope. Celebrate in advance in hope the belief in your God that he will do something. Now let me say this. Some people get a little wonky when we talk about hope. My hope isn't in any specific outcome. My hope is in the God who can bring about any outcome he wants. Some of us get into trouble when we we take hope and we get so specific with it. Uh, Maybe we have the hope to one day be married and we, and we, we take the hope to be married over the years of waiting, and we turn it into drawing a very specific picture of the person we hope to marry, that we believe we will eventually marry. And then we're frustrated time and time again because we don't see that person showing up in our life. I personally think we might be getting a little too specific with our hope. My hope isn't in an outcome. My hope is in the God who can perform any outcome. Another way to say it, don't create unhealthy expectations. And here's here's the positive side of that. Here's what I've learned. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I've learned. Sometimes I set my expectations for God doing something. Another way to say it is I limit him. Listen, if you're waiting to get married and you're painting the perfect picture of who you think the perfect spouse is, let me tell you something. You're limiting God. He has access to even better than what you're painting. And he knows the end from the beginning and you do not. So is it possible that some of us paint such clear expectations of our desires, call it hope, but the reason we end up 
getting frustrated is unmet expectations that God never even created in us. We created them ourselves. God goes on record in Ephesians 3 and he says, Preston, I think it's sweet when you paint that picture, but I want you to know how I roll. I am able as the one who has all power to do infinitely beyond anything you could ever ask me for, Preston, or even think of in your limited mind. This is why I don't spend too much time anymore as I've gotten older, painting clear pictures of what I think God will do. Here's what I've learned. I'm wrong every time. And I like to be. I like to be wrong. I like to be surprised. That's what I've learned. You think Moses actually thought the way to the promised land would be through the Red Sea? I promise you he didn't. But do you not think that at the end of his life, when he was looking back on his life, one of the most special moments he ever experienced was watching God part the waters of the sea so that he and God's people could walk through it. He didn't see that coming. He didn't expect that. You think when Mary, as a little girl, prayed a prayer to God, saying, I want to be used by you in a way no one on the earth will ever be used. You think she expected to be carrying as a teenager the son of the living God in her belly? I know she didn't. You think when Daniel privately prayed to God, use my life to tell a story that my children's children's children recite. And when they recite it, it builds their faith. Do you think Daniel thought that prayer would see him in the lion's den? I bet you he didn't. Listen, I'm not telling you to kill every expectation. I'm just telling you to curb them. Don't spend so much time daydreaming. God's going to do it in a way you won't see coming. I'm convinced it's one of his favorite things to do. But here's what I need you to remember. Don't give up hope. Now, I'm specifically talking to you. The one in the hardest season they've ever gone through in their life to this point. Don't give up hope. Why, Preston? Because I'm ready to give up. This has lasted longer than I ever imagined it would. This is harder than I can wrap my mind around. Why should I not give up? Where is God in all of this? Let me answer that question. He's on the move. Why well, can't see it, Preston? That's when it's most fun. When God is moving and you can't see the moves he's making. He is lining up the pieces of your life in such a way that what he does next, you don't see coming. But it's going to render you speechless. And it is going to bring him more glory. So stop putting your hope with such specificity. Well, this is how it's got to happen. No. Who cares how it happens? Just get excited for God to move. Don't get so fixated on how God does it that you're upset when God does it in a way differently than you wanted it done. 
Who cares how it happens? Who cares if we have to walk to the edge of the sea with the army of Egypt pressing in on our backside? Who cares if we have to stand there for a couple minutes wondering if we're about to die just as the water of the sea parts? <laughs> our hope is in the God for whom nothing is impossible. And when you wake up with hope, it's much easier to walk by faith. What's the easiest way to look forward with hope? I end the way I started. Look up. Look up. I know it's hard. And I know the season sucks. There's a purpose in it. And you may not know it this side of heaven. It doesn't matter whether you know it or not. God's at work. And oftentimes we don't understand his moves. Don't give up hope, no matter how hard things have gotten. As we wrap up our time, I want to I wanna pray. I want to pray, especially over those who are in really difficult seasons right now. So would you join me in prayer? God, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters who's experiencing a really difficult season right now. First, I pray that the dark places would immediately in this moment be lightened with the light of life. In Jesus' name, God, I pray where the enemies brought anxiety and fear that you would cast it all out with a look in the direction of your enemy who's brought the fear and anxiety. God, would you just look in your enemy's direction and cast out all fear and anxiety in Jesus. God, I pray for those who are wanting to quit. They were just about to give up all hope. Spirit of the living God, would you invade their space not just their life, their physical space right now as they listen to the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, would you overtake them right now? Would you wrap yourself around them right now? As the capital C comforter, would you comfort them right now? God, for those, the enemy has been trying to attack with such ferocity that they would quit this week. Spirit of the living God, I pray they would see you move in strength in a way that silences their enemies and renders both themselves and their families speechless. 
God, would you move in power? I know you're protecting them from harm. God, I pray you'd protect their hope. Tomorrow morning when they awaken, may they awaken to a measure of hope they haven't had in years. And as they awaken in hope and they get out of bed, I pray the first step they take would be to walk by faith and shove it in the enemy's face. They are not quitting. Hope is not lost because God is still seated on the throne. Thank you, God, for being so present during difficult seasons. May each of us see your hand and your face more clearly as we navigate our way through these tough times. In Jesus' name. I love you so much. Like I love you, love you. And I don't know if I'll ever get to meet you, but I love you, love you. And one of the reasons why is I see how my best friend looks at you. So this next seven days of your life, as we part company for now, I leave you with this challenge. Look up. And remember how he looks at you. Remember how he talks about you. Remember what he's done for you. Go walk by faith because you ain't quitting. I love you. I'll see you next week. <laughs>